Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 228 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Philip Morgan. Hello. Ruben Lerner. Hi, everyone. Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Uh, quick shout out, I've posted the conference schedule for next year. So if you want to go to Freelance Remote Conf, you can check that out. Uh, FreelanceRemoteConf.com. And the call for proposals is open. So if you want to speak, you can do that too. And in fact, that, that kind of leads in a little bit to uh, what we're talking about today, and that's alternate forms of content marketing. In parens, it says, non-written for those who aren't natural writers. So I think, Philip, I think you suggested this last year. Did this, I did. Did this come out of somebody asking you something specific, or is there a story behind this, or was it just, oh, this would be cool to talk about? Uh, a little bit of both. Uh, it, it's a question I get. It's, it's a need that I've seen in working with freelancers, you know, a lot of software developers, and it, it's kind of a scratch-your-own-itch thing because... For me, for a long time, it was just super difficult to get content marketing done, like get it shipped and out in the world. And I'm a little more of a natural writer, but I, I work with a lot of people in various capacities who, they, I mean, they're just super intelligent, but, you know, the written word is not their sort of first natural, easiest way of expressing themselves. And so, I don't know, it was sometime last year, some of this came out out of doing this service I did for a while called My Content Sherpa. And I developed a workflow for interviewing subject matter experts, taking the audio and handing it off to a writer. And then they would they would take that interview. Sometimes they were present during the interview and sometimes not. And they would turn that into written content marketing. So I started to think about the role that like interviewing yourself and recording your thoughts and then handing that off to a writer might play in making it easier for people to produce content marketing. And then, you know, thinking about podcasting and these other sort of ways of communicating something without using writing at all and how effective those are and how much, how incredible the reach of podcasting is. You know, we talked about that, I think two episodes, two or three episodes ago when we talked about podcasting. Anyway, that's the backstory. All those, all those kind of threads came together into this idea that maybe we could talk about content marketing that does not involve uh, the written word as, as like the primary vehicle for, for that content marketing. I have some crayons. <laughs> You're talking about infographics now. Oh. <laughs> My least favorite form of content marketing. <laughs> I mean, one thing to think about is... I think people have a sort of, when they think about content marketing, they have this sort of bias to think, well, that's blog posts or that's articles that you write and then you submit as a guest post to some uh, publication that has more traffic or trust than you do. And, and, and that sort of default setting of thinking of, of writing as content marketing, I think, prevents people from really getting some of the benefits that they could get from content marketing. I think it prevents people from embracing it. It kind of makes it a non-starter for some people because when they sit down to write, it just, you know, a million things happen. They start self-editing, self-criticizing. They don't have a big enough chunk of time to really get into the writing process. And so those are some of the more common reasons why I've seen people be pretty ineffective at marketing themselves, using content marketing. And so I always try to encourage a more broad view of what content marketing is. Like it could be you talking into a recorder uh, while you're, you know, exercising on the uh, treadmill and then sending that to an email list. I know that's 
that for some people, they're going to be horrified by the idea of even doing that, like of letting people into their life that much. But that could be super effective for the right person, the right audience. So I, I guess to for this to stop being the Philip monologue, <laughs> what sort of content marketing have you all done that was not written form, you know, in writing content marketing? Before trying to answer that, let, let me just get a better hold on what content marketing is, both for myself and maybe for people who are listening. So the idea, if I understand it correctly, of content marketing is I'm going to put stuff out there for free, and it's going to demonstrate to people that I'm so great at what I do that they're going to want to, when the time comes, buy stuff for me that's for pay. I mean, it's a little crass, but is that sort of the direction? I think so. I mean, that's uh, there's probably going to be a different definition of content marketing depending on who you ask. But that's one aspect of it is is demonstrating your expertise by literally demonstrating it through through writing or or some other. It doesn't have to be writing, but just showing people that you have the expertise that you claim to would be one way to think about content marketing. Another is helping people for free with no expectations, no strings attached in order to create an impression or start to build a relationship with those people would be another view of content marketing. And then an even broader view would be just providing some value of some kind. But a lot of content marketing, it goes beyond just informing and educating and helping and uh, it tries to entertain people or somehow, you know, break up the monotony of, of their boring day. <laughs> so um, there's a lot of different ways that content marketing can create value or, or try to connect with potential clients. But that's the, the idea. The general idea is that you're, you're going to do some stuff for free and it's going to come back to benefit you later. And, and that's that's sort of the idea behind it. Okay. Okay. That, that's good. So... Well, Chuck, I've heard this podcast thing is useful for content marketing. Yeah, a few people know who I am. <laughs> Has it led to work for you? Yes. Though I will point out that uh, since most of my podcasts reach my colleagues more than my customers, sometimes it was a little bit tough to make that work the way I wanted to. But that being said, I mean, it has worked. I've gone on the show and basically said, hey, look. I'm a freelancer or a consultant or whatever you want to call us. I know some people hate one term and some people hate the other term. But, you know, I basically got in and said, hey, I solve these kinds of problems with Ruby on Rails. Do you want to hire me? And I'd have people go to their boss and say, boss, you need to hire this guy. And so it would work out for me that way. And then, yeah, when I was doing, I think the first big-ish client that I got, I got because I was... Uh, doing screencasts about Ruby on Rails. And so they saw my videos and then they hired me and I worked for them for like two years. Wow. Yeah, I was going to mention screencasts, by the way. I don't think that came up in our discussion before we started recording. But screencasts are amazing. I, I've learned about all sorts of people online um, and bought stuff from them based on screencasts that I've seen. And I do, I've done some screencasts as well, like with my book, the videos. And uh, people tell me, and I also believe it because I enjoy it too, it's very, very effective. And I think for people who don't want to write, although you could argue you should be writing the text in advance, not that I ever do that. People who don't want to write, people who are a little screen shy, so like a lot of people don't show their faces when they're doing screencasts. You should, but you don't have to. Right? There, you can play it a whole lot of different ways um, to suit your needs. And there in programming, it's sort of like the writing is almost one step removed from the actual programming. 
right? Because you're describing what you would do as opposed to doing it. And with a screencast, you're actually doing it. So if you're talking about demonstrating expertise, a screencast is a great way to do it. And then you can put it up online and people will see it forever. You have almost you have this evergreen content that new people will stumble upon. Yeah, we talked about this some when we talked about podcasting, but I think it really does go to the fact that you are able to demonstrate your expertise and that's, you know, that's what Philip basically said. But the other thing is, is that like, I, I don't even go for like the cliffhanger, right? Where it's, hey, I'm going to get you halfway there and then you've got to hire me to figure out how to do the rest of it. I, yeah, I haven't never pulled that. Instead, I've shown people how to do the entire thing. Uh, one of the video series that I did in Teach Me to Code was how to build a Twitter clone. And I had that, that client that watched the videos, he wanted to build a Twitter clone. So he literally could have copied the code out of the videos or gone to GitHub and they were available for anyone who wanted them, pull that in and get going on that Twitter clone. And yet he figured out pretty fast that he really wasn't interested in building it himself. He wanted me to do it. And so I came in and I built it for him and then we continued to customize it from there. And so it's, you, you don't even have to be that secretive, right? This is my secret sauce or... You know, if you spent an extra five minutes, you'd be giving them giving away the farm. Even if you're giving away the farm, unless it's like super easy and really simple for somebody to do on their own, in which case you probably don't have much of a business anyway. Showing people how to do it, showing them how easy or hard it is, a lot of times it's just, oh, well, he knows how to do it, so he'll just do it. Yeah, I agree. In the cases where doing an end-to-end uh, like educational, let me show you exactly how I do this thing that I also, you can also pay me to do for you. The cases where that, where a client takes that and does it on their own are cases where clients don't value the things they're actually paying you for anyway. They don't value the risk reduction of having an expert do it or an expert kind of look over their shoulder to make sure they're doing it right. And they don't value the time savings of having somebody do it for you. And neither of those are a type of client you really want anyway, unless you're just kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel. So, yeah, there's, there's just that's a, another common question about any form of content marketing is, am I going to miss out on client work by explaining or showing in great detail how I do this? I guess the one caution I would have is you might miss out on the attention of the right kind of person. Like, um, you know, if you're giving... The screencasts are great, and I think they can play a role in content marketing. But if you're talking at too le- too deep a level of detail, you you may miss out on the attention of the actual decision maker, which can work out anyway because you're speaking to the person who might recommend you to the decision maker. In fact, Chuck, is that what happened? Like when you're in those cases where you're the examples you were giving earlier, it, it, was there that sort of Thing where kind of a technical person recommended you to, you know, the CTO or the, or the company owner or the decision maker? Actually, no. In both cases, it was the decision maker that watched the video or listened okay. to the podcast. Uh, in okay. the one case, though, so the client was definitely not a technical person. And he had another mm-hmm. successful business and he was trying to build this on the side. And what happened was his brother was one of the co-founders of Dentrix. And when they talked about how the project was going to go and started getting advice on things and if, you know, figured out, Hey, he's actually seriously going to go through with this. He said, well, you should look at Ruby on rails. And so 
the client actually went and did a Google search for Twitter Ruby on Rails, and he found my videos. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, the other client, he had been trying to teach himself to code for about six months and figured out pretty fast that what he wanted to build and where his skill level was at were completely separate. And so he actually had been listening to my Ruby on Rails podcast, which was called Rails Coach at the time. And he called me up and said, hey, are you interested in building this? And I said, yes. And so I got paid to build it. And it never saw the light of day, but I built it. Yeah, I mean, I, I've definitely encountered, I definitely felt on occasion, wait, these guys want me to show them how to do everything or they want me to give away everything. And it, I've, I've always found that when I have clients who want me to show, I should show them how I do what I do. First of all, they appreciate it and they keep me on longer because this demonstrates expertise. Second of all, if they want to do it, they're going to do the easy stuff. They're going to do the boring stuff. And that means I get to solve more interesting problems, which most engineers, I mean, that's what we want to do, right? We want to solve more, more problems and more interesting ones. So I've never found it to work out poorly to, as it were, offload the easier stuff or tell people how to do what I do. There's always more to do. Even like the simplest business will have an almost instantly deep set of problems they have to solve. Yep. Well, the other thing is, is that even if the first 10 steps are the easy part and they can get 90% of the way there with those 10 steps, they're eventually going to hit the hard part. And then right. they're going to come to you and they're going to say, how do we do this? And then you say, well, I have a product for that. And then you book them and you, you get paid to help them out. So the podcasts definitely work for that. I think screencasts also work for that. Um, I've done some other training videos online, like webinars. So I'm not necessarily showing somebody how to do it. I'm talking them through the ideas behind and some of the process behind whatever it is they want to do. In my particular case, this is the career coaching that I do. And in particular, how do I find a job now that I've gone through boot camp? And just by talking through that stuff and helping people figure stuff out like that, a lot of times what, what, what I wind up getting to is, okay, well, you know, I will engage you for a couple of hours so that I can tell you my specific case and you can help me figure out what I'm supposed to do with my stuff. Yeah, that's the, that's the other thing about, you know, giving away the farm is you really can't give away the farm because there's always going to be specifics that differ yeah. from client to client. And, and there's real value in applying your knowledge to those specifics. Do you have an example? It, it feels like you do a lot more of that kind of thing than I do, Philip. Well, sure. I mean, I, I sell a book for, I mean, $49. And people hire me routinely to help them apply the knowledge in that book. I, I mean, that's one example where, you know, I, I, I don't hold back in the book from explaining everything that I can. But, you know, the specifics of each person's case differ. And so in some cases, people really value having an outside pair of eyes who can kind of go through that journey with them and say, okay, watch out for this, or, you know, this is going to take you a long time to figure out on your own. So here's a template I can give you that, that accelerates that process or that kind of thing. I, you know, I, I'm not doing client work right now, but I think the same thing applies with client work where, you know, a client can read a book on copywriting or programming and, and do some of it on their own. But there's always going to be specifics that an expert can can see these certain you know edge cases and 
and help help you avoid risk or help you implement faster because this is not the first time they've done it. That kind of thing. I can definitely see that in the area that you're in where, you know, you're talking about helping people find a niche. And so somebody decides they want to target deep sea fishermen and it's, okay, well, I can't find them. And they go to the most obvious places for other industries and they those things just don't exist. So they go looking for forums and things like that. And yeah, then they come to you and they say, well... This is a hard nut to crack. Where do you suggest I go? And then you can work from there. Yeah. Talk about screencasts and podcasting, right? I mean, another form of non-written uh, content marketing would be the, the highly scripted video. That's <laughs> what I'm going to call this. I think it's been a year or two. Uh, there was a this great video that I think Uber Conference did that was sort of a hilarious, funny video of showing what a what a conference call looks like but everybody was in the same room so they weren't doing a conference call but so it was meant to be humorous do you guys remember what i'm talking about no no this sounds good i don't think i've seen it but it sounds yeah it sounds like something i ought to watch because <laughs> a conference call conference calls are bad enough but if everyone actually sees everyone else oh my god even worse yeah search on youtube for you know the uber conference and i think you'll find find it and i don't think they're the first one that's done this i think someone some other conference calling company did this where they, you know, they shift the context from a remote conference call to a, an in-person meeting, but they have it, uh, you know, played out the way a conference call typically would go. And it's hilarious. It, you know, it's funny and it, it makes an impression. And I mean, that's an example that I don't think is sadly is very adaptable to what most freelancers are going to be able to do. But um, I do see sometimes people, uh, invest in something like an explainer video for their services or uh, some sort of scripted video. And, and I just want to point out that like, that's another way that you can do content marketing without writing. Although I guess the rip, the script is technically writing. So, <laughs> but it, it ends up in uh, not in written form. You guys have any experience with that or uh, come across anybody using that? I, I haven't, uh, except I think for one instance I'm thinking of, uh, someone had an explainer video put together for their service, but uh, it's, it's kind of a rare thing at the freelancer level. Yeah, I had a client that used one, and they basically, what what wound up happening was they wound up having one of these explainer video companies be believers in their product, and this was actually a physical product. And, you know, so they did it, and it, it all worked out. They were basically explaining why their snorkel was better than other snorkels, which was kind of an interesting deal. But yeah, it, it, it's effective if you're trying to differentiate yourself in some way. So you have the explainer video that says, hey, you're familiar with these kinds of things, and here's why we're different, better, smarter, faster, smell better, whatever. Yeah, it's those are, I guess they're typically almost more like a sales page or like some form of marketing copy that's been condensed into a video. Yeah, I mean, a, a scripted video to me also just sounds like uh, an expensive, difficult sort of thing to put together. Maybe I'm wrong. That's just sort of my impression. Whereas a screencast, you know, you don't need expensive software. You don't need lots of time. Um, you know, it's good to prepare a bit, but you don't even need to do that so much. And so, and the ROI on, on screencasts that I've done has been, you know, ROI not necessarily financial, but just in terms of authority also, has been very high. And so I think I'd have to have a really like 
like amazing, amazing scripted video to feel like I was getting something out of it that would that would justify the cost. So I'm guessing that's partly why a lot of freelancers don't do it. Yeah, if you have enough people around that are willing to either volunteer time or you're already paying for their time in some way, so you have subcontractors that are local and can come sit in or things like that, I, I could see that being a little bit less expensive if you have somebody that has the expertise to do it without having to pay a videographer to come in and record it. I could see maybe a freelancer making that work and then essentially having that message come across in the video. But yeah, I generally agree with you that, that you're right about that. Like my, my operation, it's me. I've got a couple people, but they're not even in the U.S. So unless we wanted to do a scripted video that was over Google Hangouts or something, it just wouldn't make sense. But yeah, I could also see... And, and this is something that uh, my friend John Sanmez does, and I think I mentioned it during the podcasting episode or last week. But he, he does a video every day on YouTube, and it's partially scripted. Like, he usually has some kind of outline of what he wants to get through. And then he'll just rant or talk about whatever it is that he's talking about. And he, he gets a little bit close to the, this scripted video in the sense that he's putting a message out there and he's talking about something his audience is interested in. And generally doing this sort of thing, but it's, it's different in the sense that it's just him, it's just his opinion, and it really is uh, mostly just organic him talking. But I've also seen that work out where people watch the videos and they kind of get to know who you are, and then they also feel your expertise come through because you're talking about things that they care about and have that work out to where your message comes out. Not so much over one video where it's, here's our differentiator, but over several videos where it's, here's who I am and here's what I have to offer. You know, that's moving towards the, the next sort of category I have for this type of content marketing, which is the casual video <laughs> or audio. Like um, I'm seeing people do this on Facebook with Facebook Live. Uh -huh. And I, I'm sure like all forms of content marketing having mixed results, but in some cases, good results. And it's, it's just that same thing that you talked about, uh, just a different platform, you know, uh, Facebook Live instead of YouTube. Uh, same idea. Uh, maybe they've got some talking points or sort of a loose outline they want to get through. The goal is to either educate or inspire or, I mean, maybe agitate the somebody's sense of pain and then kind of suggest a solution. And it can work. I, I find video is really demanding compared to audio. Audio is demanding in a different way, but video is demanding in that just, you know, if you look uncomfortable or a little sweaty or <laughs> whatever it is, it, it can really just kind of come across the long, wrong way on video, whereas audio doesn't have that. But either one, I think for, for someone who has difficulty writing would be a good way for them to get in the habit of producing useful content or thinking about what would be useful. Uh, what could I, you know, if I could get in front of a, you know, my phone and just record five minutes of audio or five minutes of video, what would my clients care about? What would get their attention? And, and that sort of mindset is very valuable for people who are used to getting pretty much 100% of their business through referrals. Nothing wrong with that. But if you want to change that, you really got to start thinking, well, what do my clients care about? Not what do I care about? Although that there should be some overlap between the two, but what do my clients care about and what's going to get their attention as they're blazing through their Facebook feed or searching on YouTube or what have you? 
It's funny that you bring that up because uh, there's another... I think of him as a mentor. His name's Aaron Walker, and he's from Nashville. In fact, I'm actually going to be going out to Nashville to go to an event that uh, he and a few other folks are putting on uh, for the men's group that I'm a part of that he runs. And it's really kind of interesting because he is on Facebook Live every day. And he just, he does it during his workout. So, you know, you can see he's got a headband on and blah, blah, blah. And he's walking through the green space in Nashville, Tennessee. And anyway, um, so yeah, and, and he puts out, he's, he wants to coach men to make their lives better, you know, spiritually, mentally, uh, business. And so it's a message every day on something related to that. And usually there's some form of this is what I've learned or this is what I've been doing that goes with it. But again, it's the, it's the kind of message that his target audience has or wants that he can put out there every day and get his message out. This, this is how you make your life matter. And yeah, it's, it's kind of a critical part of his business, I think, as far as being able to recruit people to come in and join the community that he has and be a part of his mission in helping people do better in their lives in whatever ways those are. I'm, I'm curious. It's very interesting that he does this daily video. And I realize that Facebook Live is relatively new, but like, how many people are actually tuned into that? Like, it, it, it sounds like an interesting way to get people to know you, and they will. But is there really such a – is there a large enough audience of potential clients to make it worthwhile? Well, that's one thing I think is interesting is I don't think most people watch his videos live. I think most people watch them after they've been posted to their feed because after it's out, it just turns into a regular video post on Facebook. And Facebook is trying to get more people to participate in Facebook Live, so they promote them pretty heavily. So that's the other thing is, is he's taking advantage of Facebook wanting to get people to use this tool, and so, so that's what he does. But yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that he's getting hundreds of views every day. Wow. From people who are oh, that's impressive. Yeah, but a lot of people, he has a, an online Facebook community as well for the men that he's serving. He actually calls it the community. So, um, but, but anyway, so, you know, they don't get posted to the community, but because you're so closely affiliated with them, they show up in your feed. And then he gets uh, dozens of comments and. As I said, you know, hundreds of views. The other thing is, is that as you comment throughout the video, so like if you have a comment at timestamp time three minutes, then it posts your, your comment in chronological order with everybody else's, but it puts a timestamp on it saying you posted that comment three minutes into the video. And so you can actually, if you're looking at other people's comments, you can go and engage and say, oh, what was he saying at three minutes that they're responding to? And then you can be part of the conversation that way as well. So there, there are a lot of interesting things that you can do there. Um, I think it depends a lot on where your audience is or where your target market is. But if you've got a market that routinely congregates on Facebook and you can get them to participate in a page or other community that you control or run on Facebook, and then you're posting these kinds of things, then Facebook will figure out that you might be interested in it. And if you watch them on your feed, Facebook figures out also that you paused or you clicked on that particular 
piece of content and they will give you more of that. So he shows up in my feed every day because I've watched a handful of his videos. Right. I mean, I guess yeah. I've also been, I mean, I mean, it's not quite the same, but I mean, I put a whole bunch of things up on YouTube, not huge. My, my kids said, you, you have a YouTube channel. <laughs> so I'm not exactly one of these, you know, I, I'm not just an old fogey. I'm an old fogey who knows a little bit of something. Um, <laughs> but like, I mean, I don't have millions of followers exactly, but it is sort of amazing to me that people do find my channel, find my videos, they subscribe to them. Like they're interested in seeing more of what they get. And I mean, this is one of the things I've, I've learned from you, Phil, from others, which is, you know, if you put out content and you're consistent about the subject, there will be people who will not be interested, not subscribe, not want to watch more. But there will be other people who, will, for whom this is exactly what they're looking, right? And and so, you know, keep putting it out, and they'll be very happy. Yeah. Well, yeah. You can also do the same thing on YouTube in the sense that they now ha have moved Hangouts on Air over to YouTube, and so you've got YouTube Live, and you can put up live events. And when you do that, it posts it to Google, uh, Google Hangouts or Google Plus. The other thing is, is that if people know that you're going to be on every day uh, at a particular time on Snapchat or Periscope or YouTube or whatever, then they may just tune in knowing that, hey, I'm probably going to hear from Reuven today about training or Chinese or whatever it is that you're talking about. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's actually a couple interesting threads in there. I mean, Reuven highlighted the thing that was that I, I just I didn't want to um, be the guy but I'll be the guy <laughs> like that content marketing works so much better when you have a consistent a focus on some fairly specific area mm -hmm. and so I, I guess I, did, I couldn't let that go without saying but it's probably clear to people that if you're not getting results from content marketing it may not be the quality of your content it may be just that it's not all over it, it's it is all over the map it's not focused enough but there is this also this thing about consistency. You know, I, I email my list at the same time every weekday, uh, 6 a.m. Pacific time. And I've noticed that I get sometimes almost immediate replies, like within five or 10 minutes, people, uh, some people will reply to an email, not every email, um, but these replies come in so quickly. My list is not so huge. It, it makes me think that people are actually expecting them because they show up at the same time every day. And I, I just, I, I don't have the science really to go with this, but I just have a pretty strong feeling just uh, based on experience that there's, there's a lot of value to publishing on a consistent schedule. It, it's hard to do and it becomes easier if you find a content marketing approach that's easy for you to execute on a consistent basis. But I, th I think publishing on a consistent schedule, there's something important about that. I'm not saying if you can't do that, don't bother, but I am saying it's something to work towards because I think people can start to build it into their day. I don't think uh, I'm not saying I, I think there are people out there who open their email client at 6.01 a.m. Pacific time because they know there's an email from me waiting for them. But I do think that people um, sort of know to expect it. The other interesting thread that came out is uh, that not explicitly is is the idea of how can you measure the results of any content marketing you do, whether it's written or not. I mean, you know, with Facebook or YouTube, you can look at basic metrics, like how many people viewed some part of this video or click the play button or, you know, click the little thumbs up to like it. And those are somewhat helpful, but I guess 
the point that I want to make is that if you're hoping for some kind of amazing level of uh, like accountability or data around any kind of content marketing, you're going to have to do a substantial investment in setting up analytics. It, 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 no content marketing approach that I've ever seen has really, really great data built into it that somehow helps you know with, with great precision that somebody hired you or bought something from you because of these three pieces of content marketing. So uh, I know that's a common question that comes up with content marketing. And I'm not saying it's not measurable, but I am saying it, it's, it's a challenge to get good data from it from a marketing perspective. That is so true. And it's, I mean, YouTube has analytics. Um, there's an analytics package I've used for Periscope in the past. I'll probably put it in as a pick because I think it's pretty cool. It's called Fullscope TV, and uh, but still, I mean, yeah, it's not perfect. It, it gives you some information, but yeah, if you want the analytics, especially going toward who's purchasing and what are they purchasing, then you've got to set a lot of that up on your own. So you're going to be doing URL shorteners that set up uh, UTM parameters for Google Analytics or this or that, and it's not always very apparent how you get that to work. Yeah, exactly. Let's take a break from this episode and really quickly talk about finding a job. You know, searching for a job can feel stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again. Sometimes you go all the way through an interview process just to find out that the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Well, there's a solution. Hired.com is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities. They make the job search faster, focused, and stress-free instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best. Hired puts you in control of how and when you connect with compelling opportunities. And after completing one simple application, top employers apply to you. The best part is, is that you get money. That's right. They pay you if you get a job through them. Listeners to this show can earn double their normal hiring bonus by signing up with the show's link. That's right. You get $2,000 instead of $1,000. So go sign up at Hired.com slash Freelancer Show. One, one thing that's a sort of hybrid between that highly scripted video, with a, a good example of that would be, I mean, the Uber conference thing I mentioned. Uh, Marie Forleo is someone who uses this as almost her number one marketing channel is these highly scripted videos or at least highly produced a lot of editing and done in a studio that kind of thing anyway hybrid between that and the sort of casual thing is something i've been experimenting with for case studies so uh you know i work with people in this uh, mentoring program that i have and they finish and they get get some results and of course i want to circle back and do a case study with them just like anybody any freelancer should be doing with their clients and I've been doing those in video. So I will get on uh, YouTube Hangouts on Air or Google Hangouts on Air and record a 15, 20, 25 minute conversation between me and my uh, you know previous student, my graduate, and just talk to them about what was the program like? What did you get out of it? What kind of challenges did you have going into it? And then most importantly, what did you learn through this experience that you would want to share with someone else who's facing similar challenges. So I'm trying to take the sort of traditional case study format and add value to it by making it 
have some kind of educational component where my student is sort of teaching people who are watching what they've learned. And anyway, that's that's another form of content marketing that uh, makes use of the non-written form. And it's, it's very easy to do compared to a written case study. Like it would probably, you know, when I was writing professionally for clients, it would take me a day or a day and a half or more sometimes to write a case study. This happens much faster. It, it really literally takes 30 minutes. I send uh, people some questions to think about before we do the call. And, and the call itself is about 20 minutes long and it's recorded. There's no editing after the fact. So I'm not ready to say these are the most effective way to do case studies, but they, they have some interesting attributes in that they, they're very uh, raw and real feeling. And I think that that does a lot to increase trust. So that's something people can think about is, you know, maybe adding video or some sort of recorded interview to a case study so that it's not, you're not depending on the writing to do all the heavy lifting. I just want to pick up on something you, you said here, which is, uh, well, first of all, I like the idea of these interviews. I think that's definitely a nice way to go. But like, you know, I think with all these things, you know, the, the, not, the unwritten and also the written, it's like anything else. You're going to get better as you do it more. And so I, to some degree, and this is because I'm also like a writing kind of guy and a verbal kind of guy, I, I really feel that people should not be discouraged, not be put off by writing being difficult because it's difficult for everyone at first. And little by little, you get better at it. I mean, you'll get better at doing videos, you'll get better at doing podcasts, and you'll get better at writing. It's just a matter of sort of sitting down and, and wanting to improve in that. That said, I mean, we're concentrating here on unwritten stuff, but um, I do think it's important to point out that when you first do interviews, when you first do podcasts, you'll probably feel like, oh my God, I have no idea what, no idea what I'm doing. And or you'll listen to it and you'll be horrified because it won't quite turn out the way you expected or wanted. But with each one, it'll get marginally better. And after, you know, a thousand of them, you'll be great. And that is so hard to do. That's that asymmetric vulnerability thing where you're sort of putting yourself out in some way. I mean, written for a lot of people is, is sort of the safest, most abstract way, right? Because you can edit forever until oh, at least yeah. you feel like it's perfect. Whereas some of these other things we've been talking about have a, you know, a, a component of being live or editing is difficult and expensive with video, at least from a time perspective, you know, yada, yada. So it's, it's the safest often is uh, writing, but all of them have the asymmetric vulnerability where you're sort of saying, okay, I'm putting something out there and you might be able to criticize it without me really being there to defend myself. Or you might criticize it because I'm a, I'm anonymous to you and, you know, it's much easier to do that kind of criticism. So yeah, that, that makes getting started so hard for some people. So I have recommended some people just produce content and don't publish it for a period of time. Although I think publishing it, you know, tightens some feedback loops and accelerates your progress. But maybe for some people that, that may be something that helps them get started is, well, I'm just going to write, you know, a blog post a week and not publish it until I feel better about my writing. It's funny, too, that we're talking about this because I have the absolute opposite problem. Right? Almost none of the content that I produce is written. It's, it's all audio or sometimes video, and then very occasionally I'll actually get around to writing a blog post or something. And so, you know, maybe we can talk about this in, in another episode, but, you know, how, how do you get around that to the point where it's like, okay, I, I'm okay to write or I'm, because for, for me, for the most part, it's, 
you know, I, I have so many things going on that I just don't have the time to do the writing, but I want to do the writing. You know, um, can I ask a tactical question? So Google doesn't, Google search engine doesn't index audio or video, or do they have algorithms that, that you know, can ins inspect into audio and video? Uh, I'm sure they do. No? So, okay, two, two different answers. Well, my I've never, I've never tried it. I'm just sort of assuming that it's not that hard to do if you have, you know, many billions of dollars and their computing power. I mean, theoretically not hard to do. Do they actually do it? And does sort of building your content empire on audio or video affect search engine rank? I know YouTube's the second biggest search engine in the world, and almost any video is going to at least have a title and be wrapped in some kind of text metadata that can be indexed and used for searching. But did you see the question I'm getting at, Chuck? Do you feel like it's you know harmed you from a SEO perspective that so little of your content is text? No, I mean I've been paying for transcripts for years, so. Ah, well, there, there's the uh, the cheat code is <laughs> uh, rev.com, right? Or some transcription uh, yeah, service. I, I've either used Upwork or uh, Podcast Motor actually just does it for me now. Nice. I think that's an issue. I mean, I don't know if that's something that puts people off from the idea of using audio or video, but it's something to think about is like how, if you're depending on, on SEO for, or if you're depending on search traffic to bring you the kind of people you're trying to attract through your content marketing, that's something you have to think about. Ultimately, it will involve, I think, we're at the consensus that Google doesn't index the, you know, the audio or video content. I could probably <laughs> answer that with a two minute Google search myself. Anyway, assuming they don't, there's still some role that text plays and it, it still has, you still have to consider that. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing it's probably a good idea that if you have video or audio to have a transcript, both for, you know, SEO purposes. And also, I mean, people sometimes stumble upon your site and they'll want to take a look at it. And they're not going to want to watch a half-hour video to find out what you have to say. They'll just skim through it. So having the transcript there could be very useful. Yeah, I agree. I mean, in my own preferences, people will send me videos. And I, I'm hesitant to just hit that play button because I, I just know that it's like a, it's, it sort of becomes a time commitment. Do we want to talk about screencasts? That's the other one. I, or not screencasts, sorry, webinars. I know we, we've covered that as the sole topic of other shows, but that, that might be, a, that's the other, uh, you know, form of content marketing that I had uh, written down in my short list of non, non-written forms of content marketing. Yeah, I love webinars. I, I haven't done one in a while and I miss it. I think it's like, it hits all the right sweet spots for me in that um, it doesn't require that much preparation. Um, it lets me, at least in terms of my training, I often use them to sort of try out new material and see how it goes. It gives me a chance to interact with people. They can ask questions, and they often do. Um, and then I get a video at the end that is available forever and people can watch and enjoy. So I've, I've had, I have nothing but good things to say about doing webinars. Yeah, I've done a few as well, and kind of the same thing. The other thing is, is that I get all kinds of feedback from people who are interested in it. I did one on the five reasons why you're not getting hired for new people who are trying to find a job. And yeah, it was, it was terrific just from the standpoint of, Hey, if you're having trouble finding a job, you're probably doing one of these things wrong. The other thing that was interesting though about it was that it again, 
just makes that message concrete and demonstrates, hey, look, I, I understand this stuff and I'm an expert. So you can hire me as a coach or you can buy my product. And yeah, people really seem to just get into it. So here's a question. Uh, if you guys can think back to when you were starting out, did you sort of compare your efforts against what you saw the people you admire doing online, like your podcasting efforts versus whoever your podcasting hero was or, or your screencast efforts versus your personal screencast hero? Did, did you guys do that? I did a little uh, bit, but big. my podcast hero was also somebody that I was talking to online at the time. And uh -huh. so, yeah, so I, I was actively getting feedback from them. And I'll, I'll just call him out. It was uh, Greg Pollock from Code. He's, he was the CEO of Code School. Not at the time, but uh, mm -hmm. he was doing the Rails Envy podcast, which no longer exists. But yeah. That was a great podcast. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and, and then Ruby 5. So anyway, it's, it's kind of interesting because, yeah, I did to a certain extent, but also at the same time, because I was in contact with him, you know, I would periodically get feedback. So... I wasn't like, going, oh, man, you know, he's so much further ahead than I am. It was, hey, I ran into this. How do I do it? Nice. I'm trying to think. I, I mean, I don't remember sort of talking to other people about how to do it, but I definitely would look around. And you know how it is with uh, also development or programming or I guess almost anything. You're constantly on the lookout. You notice things. When you start doing something, you notice how other people are doing the same thing. You say, oh, that's a nice idea. I should incorporate that. And so little by little, you make it your own by incorporating the things that are useful to you. So I, I couldn't even tell you or point to specific things. But I know that you know, in my teaching, in my working with clients, uh, you know, over the years, I've definitely improved things. And I'm sure, I'm sure if I look at the webinars that I did and the screencasts I did, oh, you know what? In fact, actually, now that I think about it, when I started doing screencasts, I started doing it without my picture. And then I said, wait, you know, funny that Chuck mentioned this, you know, Greg Pollock, I liked his screencasts and he had his, he had his whole body there, right? But the fact that he was visible really made a difference. And so I think that was one of the reasons that I started putting uh, my picture in there live while I was doing it. So yeah, it's, it's, once you start doing it, if you're not looking to improve, then, you know, and, and constantly be improving your technique, then, then you should rethink it. And you should probably expect, I mean, I don't really look at my, my very old stuff in part because I, I'm sure I would be just completely horrified by it. It was good enough for other people, but I know that I've improved a lot uh, since then. Yeah. Ira Glass talks about the taste gap, you know, that gap between the stuff you admire and, and the stuff that you're actually capable of producing yourself at any given point. And, <laughs> you know, that, that can be discouraging to people, that gap. And, and that's why I think... More and more, I think if you're going to do content marketing, just go ahead and commit to do it daily, you know, because I think that accelerates uh, moving through that taste gap. It's, it sounds impossibly ambitious to think about doing something every day, except for feeding yourself, bathing yourself, going to the shower, you know, all these things that we do anyway every day. Those are easy habits to maintain. So why not just add uh, content production to that? If, if you're serious about it. You shower yeah. every day? That's a lot of work. <laughs> hey, man. Gotta, gotta smell good for the podcast. <laughs> That's you I'm smelling? <laughs> I've outed myself. Yep. 
That's my that's my aqua velvet you're smelling. <laughs> <laughs> what have we missed? I I think we've covered a lot of the major non-written forms. I mean, I sort of sneered at infographics earlier, and those sort of get out of pure writing and in in a way that's not been very inspiring or accessible for me. Like I I've seen very few infographics other than um, the one that depicts Napoleon's march to Russia and his uh, defeat and return. Aside from that, I've seen very few infographics where I'm like, wow, that really just made my life better. You know, I, they tend to be a, a sort of form of entertainment that's not actually all that accessible for, to me for some reason. But I guess that's another form that we should mention for the sake of completeness. I would say infographics are amazing or can be amazing, but it's rare for them to be so. So if that's your talent, if you're really good at sort of taking ideas and depicting them graphically, first of all, why are you listening to our podcast? You should be like making millions. Um, I guess you could be making millions with our advice, right? But like, it's something that I definitely am not good at. But there are some infographics out there. There are some diagrams out there that people put them up online and they become instantly famous for them. I mean, there's this uh, famous Venn diagram of the data science world, of like what it includes and what the different overlapping parts are. And there are a few other things that I've seen. Not a huge number, right? But if you're so inspired and you can really depict things well, then you can make a name for yourself, I think. I think the power of info infographics is mostly just that you've put something out there that people can, at a glance, understand the message you're trying to convey. And if it's not doing that for you, then it's not a very good infographic. Yep, I agree. The good ones are, are rare and noticeable. And, and they get shared a lot, which I think is why for a long time you heard the content marketing gurus say you should make infographics is, uh, you know, they're, they're sort of easily shareable. They, they don't imply like a lot of overhead in terms of reading time, a lot of investment. So they're easy to consume, but a lot of them are easy to consume because there's, there's no new, you know, informational nutrition there. Empty calories. <laughs> I like me some empty calories. I'll keep that in mind in your Christmas gifts this year, Chuck. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anything else we should dive into here before we go to picks? No other topics I can think of, except just like it's, it's so I, I really feel it's very important to like to say again, just try things. Right. And it's not going to feel natural at first. So maybe try it a few times, but it's definitely worth giving it a shot, especially if you're not so comfortable with writing. And even if you are, right? Like, I mean, I mean, Philip, you write really well. And yet, yet your podcasts and webinars are also excellent. So one doesn't have to preclude the, uh, the other. And it might be also a matter of not just what's good for you, but what's good for your potential clients. You're here. Yeah. If you're, if you're wondering what you should create content marketing about, regardless of the form, ask your clients. They are the best source of information about that. How do you ask? Do you just say, what have you always wanted to know about X? Or Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot you could ask. Uh, there's a, a sort of go, couple go-to, you know, what kind of stuff keeps you up at night? And you look for the overlap between that and, and what you can speak to in, in a way that's helpful or authoritative or what have you. So, you know, what keeps you up at night? What kind of stuff have you always wondered about? When you hire someone like me, what are the questions you have or what's on your checklist to make sure they're qualified or when a project like X blows up, why does it blow up? 
and then you can start to speak to some of those risks and concerns about hiring somebody with, with answers to that kind of question. Yeah, those are some of the easy ones to ask that, uh, you know, instantly come to mind. I guess another one is, you know, why, why would you hire me or somebody like me to do X? How's your business going to change as a result? And what are the levers that would make that change more profitable or dramatic or effective? I think those questions could really generate, you know, dozens of ideas for really great content marketing. Cool. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Ruben, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. So I've got two picks, maybe two and a half picks, depending how you count them. So the first one is uh, our uh, co-panelist, Jonathan, who's not here this week, has this new podcast called Ditching Hourly. And I listened to a bunch of the episodes. And I got to say, I've been listening to and talking with Jonathan for a few years now, I guess. I don't know how long it's been. It's been a long time. It's been great. Neither of us is going anywhere. Don't take it the wrong way. In any event, (laughs) um, the, the podcast is just phenomenal. I really think that he hits on the issues of value-based uh, pricing and why and how I am thoroughly enjoying every episode. And I definitely encourage everyone who listens to our podcast to listen to his as well, after hours, of course. Um, the, the, second, the second thing uh, is um, I recently saw a trailer on Netflix for the Lemony Snicket series, A Series of Unfortunate Events. Uh, there was a movie that came out based on that series a few years ago that was terrible in most ways. And so it looks like they might actually be doing justice to the book. So first of all, without having seen it other than the trailer, I'm excited about it. And I'm now rereading the series with my 11 year old son. And it is just so much fun. I, I really like that series. It's, it's amazing how funny uh, tragedy can be when it happens to someone else. So uh, and it's fictional. So anyway, I definitely encourage you all to uh, find an excuse to read with or to your children uh, the Lemony Snicket series. Uh, you will laugh, and they will wonder why, and then you will laugh even more. Anyway, that's it for this week uh, with Fix. Yeah, I remember that movie, and if they'd made a sequel, it would have been a series of unfortunate events. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, Philip, what are your picks? I pick you, Chuck. No, I'm... Uh... Not kidding, but also I pick uh, Rev.com, R-E-V.com. It's a pretty great transcription service that will turn audio or the audio track of a video file into uh, pretty clean, pretty accurate text. Also, they will do it very quickly. There are other services, uh, Casting Words is one, but I've had great luck with Rev. So they're a pick. And I will point people to TrustVelocity.com. Uh, Once again, the uh, maybe not definitive or even authoritative, but uh, fairly complete source of lead generation ideas that are sort of, you know, kind of categorized or sorted based on the type of ability they have to create trust quickly, which I think is vital. And you'll see that, um, at least in my opinion, not all forms of content marketing are equal when it comes to things like building trust with clients. And so this might be a handy or quick way for people to narrow down all the possibilities to two or three that might be a good fit for them. So that's trustvelocity.com. And those are my picks for this week. All right. Um, I've got a couple of picks here. The first pick that I have, I've been listening to Zig Ziglar on Audible. And I, I mentioned, I think on the show before that I set a goal to listen to everything that Audible had from Zig Ziglar by the end of the year. And Interestingly enough, I hadn't actually looked to see how much there was. 
And so uh, I put together a spreadsheet and set it up so that it would tell me how much I have to listen every day in order to get through it all. And uh, so over the 90 days, it well, it's not quite 90 days, but it's it's 12 weeks, and there were like 138 hours of audio. <laughs> so wow. you, you can kind of do the math there. It came out to a little over two hours. Um, but I've been listening, and I've been really enjoying it. Um, I've been listening to the Born to Win seminar audio recording that they have. And I've listened to a bunch of his other you know, talks and books and stuff. And a lot of the stories are the same and things like that. But the message of most of his stuff, and in particular this series where it's basically saying, look, you were created with a purpose and you were born to win. And here's how you be a successful person. Um, it's just been really, really excellent. It's, it's a 15-hour audio and I've, I've just been really, really enjoying it. So I'm going to pick Born to Win by Zig Ziglar. He, I believe he also has a book by that title. But uh, I don't remember for sure. I know that they did a Born to Win seminar for years and years and years. Zig has passed away, so they're not doing it anymore. If they are, they have other people doing it. But the stories are hilarious. He's just a fun and interesting person to listen to. So I'm going to, I'm going to pick that. And then the other thing that I'm going to pick is I found a tool for Google Drive. Um, I was actually talking to somebody about um, marketing and monetization yesterday, and he pointed this out to me, and I started using it, and I really like it. It's called MindMup. Uh, that's M-I-N-D-M-U-P dot com. And it's a tool that plugs into Google Drive and will save your mind maps to Google Drive. So if you're looking for a mind mapping tool that's free, that works with Google Drive, then that's it. Um, and it's, it's pretty good stuff, so I'm, I'm happy with it, and I'll pick it. You have to go to mindmup.com, and then you can install the Google Drive plugin, and then after that it works fine. So anyway, those are my picks. I'm also going to remind you to go check out devchat.tv slash conferences, and if you're interested in any of the technical content there, I'm also doing the Freelance Remote Conf again this next year. Uh, then definitely go check it out. I set things up so that all of the conferences next year, except for the DevOps conference, which is in January, I, I set up an earlier bird ticket that ends on my birthday. So um, it's kind of my birthday sale for everybody for the next uh, month. And so if you're interested in getting tickets for $100 instead of $150 or $200, then definitely buy your ticket before then. And you can just pick that up at freelanceremoteconf.com. And with that, I guess we'll wrap up the show. Thanks for all your awesome input, guys. Next week is our Q&A. We'll catch you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.